that was sort of one of the first points in my journey where things were like not going the way that I wanted. Up to that point, it was like we'd raised a bunch of money and we had like the Palo Alto office and we were like working on a product that was getting a bunch of traction and like all this great stuff was happening. But this is the first point where some things that we didn't want to happen ended up happening. Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, party people? It's your boy, Croissant, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I have one of my oldest and bestest friends, Andrew Chen. Let me give you a little backstory on him. He graduated college at 17. Yes, he is the product of Tiger Parents. (laughs) He sold his BitTorrent company for a lot of money back in the day as well. He created a YouTube site with me. We try to compete with them called Fatcast. It's not around. We failed. Uh, Today, he currently works at Uber. And he is one of the main advisors and the only investor in Sumo.com and AppSumo.com, the companies I help run. In this episode, it's a really interesting conversation about how do you actually establish yourself. Andrew went from knowing almost no one to knowing you know, Mark Andreessen and super famous people and really well-connected in Silicon Valley. How did he do it? Andrew's experience running his own company and maybe why you shouldn't start your own. He actually went through a day where half of his team quit and how we dealt with that. We talk about that and how we run Sumo and a bunch more. Enjoy. So starting at the beginning of your Silicon Valley career, so you came here knowing no one, right? You literally just had me and then a few other friends from Washington. And in 12 months, like you were an EAR at MDV, you were associated with Mark Andreessen, you got Mitch Kapoor and these like really high name profile people. Like, yeah. You got a blog that was read by almost the whole Valley. Can you walk me through how you're able to do that? The first week of January in 2007, I was 23 years old. I drove my car down from Seattle to San Francisco, drove on, you know, Route 1. I was, I remember it was cloudy and raining the entire time until I hit California. And then it was like <laughs> the clouds parted, like the birds were singing. Like I moved down because it was always my lifelong goal mission to be part of the tech industry in like a big way. And it was clear and obvious that, you know, I had to do that, you know, in Silicon Valley. And I figured that the best way to do that was to get a gig as a entrepreneur in residence at a firm called Moore David Al Ventures, which is like a really old firm. They, I think they were started in the early eighties by some Intel executives. I showed up in the Bay Area, not really knowing anybody. I had met a few folks like here and there. A couple folks from the investor world. Noah, obviously, I knew you from like a barbecue, like a Microsoft when we were both in college. What happened was I just knew that I needed to build my network. And that was just like a goal that I had. I created some goals for myself. And what I said was, you know, I have this really amazing job right now where I can basically sit around on Sand Hill Road inside of a venture capital firm really super smart people are coming through and just like hanging out, talking with me, et cetera. And I will use this time, five, six months of my time in the Bay Area, and I am going to go and just meet five new people every day for that period of time. And it was funny because I remember like, as you know, LinkedIn, this is 2007. I remember my LinkedIn was like maybe like 200 people or something on my entire LinkedIn. It was like pretty awesome. By the end of the period, I you know, had like thousands of connections because I literally had met all these random people. And it wasn't like something where I was being like super selective and like anything. I was just like, every time I'd sit down with someone new, I just have a great conversation, you know, send them a thank you note, send them a couple points that I thought were like interesting 
follow-ups, that kind of thing. And then I asked them, you know, hey, I'm new here. Are there a couple people that I should meet? And I think this is like really like a strong point of the Bay Area, like tech culture, where everyone was always incredibly helpful and just connected me with folks. How did you get them to meet you? Did you just email like, hey, I want, I'm a random guy? Almost everything was like through intros. So people would just like, you know, write me something. And I had like a blurb. I was like, hey, here's my like four sentence blurb about me. This is I'm an entrepreneur in residence. This is what I've done previously, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, you know, just copy and paste that into an intro. And that was great. It's interesting you say that I have an Evernote file with different intros I can give people. I've actually started doing that. So I have an intro of like, here's my company intro. If I want to introduce for something business, here's my like, I want to be on your podcast intro. And the more you just make it easy for them, it sounds like people were able to do it. Yeah, you just make it really easy. I mean, these days I usually, I'll just send like my blog, right? Like that's an easier calling card. Also my bio that's on my blog. I feel like you met a lot of people. You didn't meet Mark and Jason just through an intro. I think it's like you read your blog. Yeah, he actually cold emailed me, which was really funny. Okay, so how did the blog thing come and then lead into the getting someone like Mark Andreessen, who's super famous, emailing you? Yeah, when you're working in venture, you have people from all over the world coming to you and they've been thinking about their problem, like their thing that they want to do. And they've been thinking about it for like years and they take all their brain power and all their best ideas and they come to you and then they basically say like, here's like what I think is going to happen and this is why you should fund me to like change the world. And you're in this incredibly intellectually stimulating environment where every day that's your work, right? Hearing from people how they're going to change the world. And if you can keep yourself from being too cynical about it over time, what you quickly figure out is like, it's a really remarkable experience. And so what I started to do was I'd always enjoyed writing. And so what I did was when I was working in venture, people would say these amazing ideas and I would start to connect the dots between different things, or I'd figure out that I hadn't like an opinion, right? I would have an opinion about why this thing was good or why this thing sucked or why if you took a little bit from this thing and added a dash of this other thing, then it would be amazing. And I just found that like, it was great to just put my ideas down. And it was so intellectually stimulating that every day at work, it would just take your brain into like random directions. And then you would have the chance to like sit down and like write all that stuff down. So I did that for several months where I think my readership was like, it was like 50 people. My friends in Seattle, like my sister, my mom is like 50 people. Yeah, you like there's just a couple of people that would read it. What was awesome about that experience? I would just, you know, write and write and write. And at the very beginning, I was writing maybe two to three times per week, right? Contrast that to these days, I'm maybe writing like once every other month to give you like a sense of the pace. What started happening that was awesome was I saw that people were starting to send essays that I was writing into their internal corporate mailing lists. It just started to grow and spread that way. Probably like a couple times per year, someone super, super interesting would all of a sudden just email me out of the blue. How would your career been if you stayed in Seattle? And how much does geography affect your professional success? I guess I was imagining someone who lives in like Ohio or from Ohio and is like, I want to, you know, be in VC or I want to be able to work, you know, get Mark Anderson to invest in me. Like, should they just like pick up, drive the car out here, start a blog and then try to be an associate of venture capital? Like, what would you recommend for someone who wants to get in the valley that doesn't live around here? I think there's a couple of things. I think a guy like Mark is so obviously good at what he does. But I think the amazing thing about the valley is that for every Mark, there's also hundreds or thousands of people who are nearly at that level or close. And if you just spend time here, you just naturally get to know them. I do think that there's a set of informal networks here that like are really hard to replicate anywhere else where it's like, hey, you're 
walking down the street and you bump into a friend and then you're like, hey, let's catch up. And then you catch up and then it turns out then you like start like randomness starts to happen. And when I left Seattle, one of the things that I remember thinking is like, great, like, let's say I stay in Seattle. Who's going to teach me? Who is someone else who's in their 20s that's going to be 10 times better than me and they're going to teach me how to be better? And what I found was, you know, the more I spoke with people, the more it was kind of like, okay, go work at Microsoft or, you know, go like work at Amazon or something like that. But there wasn't that like kind of burgeoning entrepreneurial culture and, you know, network that really, you know, made that work. So to me, I was really like looking for the place where all the folks that are 10x better than me all hang out, no matter how well you're doing career-wise in a place like the Bay Area, the bench is just so deep that there's just more 10x people around. Like I still feel like there's like 100x people around, you know, that I can learn from. And that's like awesome. So one of the things about, you know, if you're outside of the Bay Area and you're thinking, oh, the Bay Area is super expensive, like I still would definitely encourage anyone from outside the Bay Area to still come and, you know, live in Oakland, you know, live somewhere that's cheaper, you know, bart into the city, share a room, take a hit on kind of like the lifestyle and just do it for like six months and just meet as many people as you can. And after you meet that caliber of people, it is, it is hard to leave once you really know like the kinds of folks that are here. One thing I was thinking about is just like how your personality has evolved. So when we first started becoming friends, your big thing was like, I want to build a billion dollar company. I don't know if you remember talking about it, but you were always about building a billion dollar company. And I think that's changed. I feel like over the years, you've come less into like, all right, the product's got to be better, less about the money. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs around here that they have this goal. They want to build a billion dollar company. I think that ultimately that's really shorthand to say, I want my work to be meaningful. I want my work to make an impact in the world. A billion dollars is like one of those things where if you've done it, then you kind of feel like, okay, it must be important somehow. You just like want your work to be important. And I want to contrast that with, you know, the idea of like being somewhere where, you know, maybe you're paid a bunch of money, but you don't feel like your work matters in the world or you feel like you're not learning that much. What's changed for me now over the years is the realization that building the billion dollar company isn't really about building the billion dollar company. It's about all those things that I've said. And so, you know, I'm at a place like Uber because, and I think this is the part that hasn't changed. Uber is a place that even with all its like ups and downs and things that are happening, it's undeniably changing the world. And it's undeniably part of a trend, which is the automation of one of the largest industries ever, transportation, that after we go through it, it's going to feel like the same revolution that we've had with computers or with telephones or television or something like that. It's that fundamental of a change. And if what that means is I'm part of an IPO of a company that is today worth 70 billion and maybe will one day be worth hundreds of billions rather than starting my own company that still fulfills me and still checks all the boxes. What do you think about that? A lot of people aspire all over the world to run their own businesses. And you went and did that. And now you've also had that other way of it of, you know, you're joining a company that is doing something very significant. Like, what does it make sense to be an employee versus to be the founder? And is it better to be one or the other? Yeah, I've tried both, right? You know, after my EIR gig, I went and raised a bunch of money like Mark and Ben Horowitz. They led my seed round, you know, along with Mitch Kapoor and a bunch of really great people, you know. And so I did the entrepreneur thing. I've had my shots at it. I think that ultimately you have to figure out for yourself 
what you think is the best way to make an impact in the world and to make your own work meaningful. And I think what happened was after working on my startups, I came to just think like, hey, you know, am I making actually a huge impact in the world? Or is, you know, one of my good friends, you know, Baba Miraka, who joined Facebook, he was kind of the B in the AB test, right? I started the company. He wanted to start a company, but, you know, he ended up going to Facebook. I ended up starting the company, you know, and I'm like, you know, this guy, he's been at Facebook, he ended up there for like five years. Like, I think it's pretty obvious actually that his work was both more impactful and more economically valuable. And I don't care about the ego of being like, I'm the co-founder. I'm not the co-founder. I just care that the work is meaningful and it's something that I want to do for a really long time. And so if you have that as your same constraints, then I think you're much more open to uh, joining in addition to starting a company. I think about this actually a lot. A lot of people are like, yeah, I want to start my own business. I want to start my business. I'm like, really, it's not actually starting your business that you want. You just want to work on something that has meaning. You want to work with people and you want to get, make money. It's kind of indifferent if you're in charge of it, as long as you have the freedom and the control that you want within it. You don't have to deal with a lot of the other bullshit that comes along with running a business. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that. I'm trying to discourage a lot of people from starting a company. And it's not that I don't think people should. I just think you can get what you're actually wanting from joining a company that's right for people. I think, you know, after you're done with school, if you really have an idea that you just like can't help but work on it, great, then go start a company. But I think like probably on average, the right thing to do is you finish school, you go to one of the top tech companies and you do that for a couple of years, then you go start a company. And then it's a lot easier because then you kind of like have an eye for talent. You have learned a bunch. You have a great network. You can raise money. We work in an industry within tech entrepreneurship where, you know, there's no such thing as like really like averages, like everything's an exception. You know, there's no patterns to any of this stuff, right? Uber was started by a guy, two dudes, and then they tried to have three CEOs. And then, you know, this the current CEO. He's 40 years old. He's not a 25-year-old. You know, before that, it was like, you know, a guy in college and he was like 19. And then before that, it was like, you know, PhD. I mean, it's all random, right? I guess my main point is just that it's hard to talk about the stuff in generalities because each of these huge successes is so exceptional and weird. As you were doing your own company, I think a story that no one knows, and I'm really curious to more hear the backstory of it, is that you had a moment when you were running your startup that everyone quit on you. Yeah. And yet everyone kind of walk out at one point and... I kind of want to know more of that story. And then how'd you feel and get through that? Yeah. So what you're referencing is about a year and a half into my startup where I'd raised money. Um, we had done our seed round and had built a product that was like not quite there. We sort of built this like kind of Mebo kind of thing, sort of this like instant messenger on the web kind of product. And so we needed to move to a new product idea. And the team that we had assembled to build the initial product, we didn't really take them along. I mean, again, I was like 25. I didn't know anything. And so we just didn't take them along to describing what the next step of the company was going to be and sort of like bring them along the path and like help them like understand. And so as a result of that, you know, a couple folks, when we kind of rolled out kind of some of our new ideas, a bunch of the folks were like, this is a great idea. However, it's kind of like not what we signed up for. You know, at the time the team was like, I think seven people three out of the seven, we sort of said, hey, you know, let's just part ways. It was a difficult like experience, I think. That was sort of one of the first points in my journey where things were like not going the way that I wanted. Up to that point, it was like we'd raised a bunch of money and we had like the Palo Alto office and we were like working on a product. 
that was getting a bunch of traction and like all this great stuff was happening. But this is the first point where some things that we didn't want to happen ended up happening. And I think like, you know, what are the lessons from that? I think the lessons are inevitably, you know, when you're running a startup, you end up needing to pivot many, many times, you know, even in obviously for AppSumo and Sumo, as you've been working on it, Noah, you've gone through many different iterations, configurations, new products, you know, et cetera. And I think one of the key things is that given the inevitability of that, you have to communicate with people, you know, and they have to understand that this is like, things are going to change a lot and you have to bring them along the journey and like get their input, you know, and that's both the advantage and disadvantages of having a team, right? I think we chose to go to a smaller team and then restart and like hire new people, which was all fine. We got back up to seven, eight, nine people within, you know, the course of the year, but how'd you stick with it? Because I, I can see myself after, you know, I, you just raised a series A from these big guys. Now you have all this money. Half your team is gone. Like, how did you stay? Like, how did you be like, all right, well, I'm just, did you just like, well, I'm just going to push through? So I think like inevitably in any of these startup things, like you have to feel lucky to even have the shot to do it. So to have the shot to do it, I felt very happy and grateful. You know, I was excited to like figure out the next thing. And you have to be excited about that. You know, otherwise you shouldn't be in startups. If you have 5 million bucks in the bank, and three people and an office, and you can work on any idea that you want. And that situation gets you demoralized. You should not be starting a company. That should be exciting. That should be like, wow, just, you know, all you have is like dry powder and everything that's great is ahead of you. And you just got to be optimistic and like, go do the next thing. And one of the things you said earlier too, which is kind of sort of repeating as a theme is just like, you got to be doing things that you're interested in. If you're in college and you got this idea that you just can't get rid of, like go after it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's kind of like what you're saying, like, Hey, we've got money. We've got, you know, two other partners you were with, and then you have ideas that you want to go work on. Definitely. And I think, you know, when you, when you think about it that way, you know, one of the best parts about entrepreneurship is you get to pick what products you go after. And so as a CEO, especially you have no excuse for driving the company into a state where all of a sudden you're not enthused about it. Yeah. That's your fault, right? Or like, that's your opportunity to redefine the business into something where you're excited. One thing, you know, one of the questions I think everyone asks and everyone's always wondering is like, when is the right time to quit something? And when is the time to persist? How did you know the timing? The reality is that all this stuff is so situational that there's no like rule. Like you you can't be like, never give up because it's like, actually, I probably should have given up earlier. On the flip side, if you tell people like, as soon as it doesn't work, you should bail then obviously like none of the great companies would have been started. So I don't think that there's like a hard and fast rule to figuring this out. I think all you can really do is I think there's an internal thing and there's external thing. I think the external thing is having friends and people where they can assess your situation and they can really give you feedback and advice on where things are. And what I find is that, you know, when you're in startup land, the roller coaster ride is so terrifying. The ups and downs is so terrifying that it's very easy to lose perspective. I often will, you know, work with companies as an investor where I get the update from them and I'm like, you only have three months of cash left. Like you should be freaking the fuck out. But they haven't pulled out all the stops because they're still kind of like diluting themselves somehow. Or on the flip side, you know, we're sort of super depressed when in, in fact, you're just kind of like, what do you mean? Like you have, you know, just like I was saying before, you have tons of money, you have like a team, go do it. Stop like whimpering and like feeling bad for yourself. Just like you're just go do it. 
So I think that there's like a thing about getting honest, hard feedback from people who can really assess your situation and like give you an impartial point of view. I think that's important. The second thing though, is I think you have to, especially when it comes to the startup thing, I think you have to do it. It's so hard that if you're going to get started, I think at least for me, I needed to do it to the point where I felt like I wasn't going to look back at the moment and think, wow, I didn't try hard enough. And, you know, I ended up working on a bunch of different ideas over, I think like six years or something like that. Within that period, like, you know, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I kind of know what this is like. I kind of know what's easy and hard about it. This is great. I've been to the all you can eat buffet of startups and I've had my fill and I'm ready for something else. You know, at that point, then the key thing is you have to make sure that like you take care of everybody, people get jobs, like the investors get something, like all that stuff. But, you know, I think it's a very personal decision. For my, me, it was just completely about, you know, being ready. For anyone starting a startup, what's the kind of like advice now that you can give them going through like starting your own for so long and growing a hyperscale business? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just like anything, once you've done something, the romanticism gets sucked out of it. When you're doing your shop for the first time, you're kind of like, everything is special. Buying your first domain, it's like special. Like getting your first product out, it's like amazing. Like getting your first couple hires, that's like incredible. Every single moment of that is like amazing. And then I think once you like have done that enough and you've kind of seen it and you've seen other startups that have done it, you kind of get to a point where you're kind of like, yeah, that's special, maybe. But also, let's be honest, it's also, it's just a job. It's just like work, right? You have to like love it intrinsically rather than thinking that, you know, you're chasing this high. And I think that's the same for raising money. That's the same for getting your, your startup, you know, in the news, right? All these things, like they feel special, but in reality, you just have to be like, okay, is that actually important or not? I mean, I had no idea. If you would have said to me when I started AppSumo, like, hey, you're going to be working on it for seven years. I would have thought you're fucking crazy. I would have like, oh, there's no way I thought I'd still be doing Sumo seven years later. I'm back in SF with you. Well, the, and the more successful you are, the longer you do it. Well, you want to keep right? doing it. Like, like if you're really successful, then you're going to end up doing it for decades. And, and I think the thing is, it's good to be naive so you don't psych yourself out. Yes. But I think the important part that I've taken away from it is just like, you've got to be doing just things that you're interested in. Like I've come to like yeah. fully believe that like, I've always been interested in promotion and marketing. I've generally liked helping small business people, the ones that are not annoying, the ones that want to help themselves. And so it's like, I've aligned myself and the work I get to do around that. And I think it's just like, even if you're being naive, it's fine. And seven years later, it's still interesting for me because I've evolved That's right. and iterated around that same yeah. concept. And I think the negatives are that once you're in the Bay Area long enough, then you realize how hard it really is. And then you realize also, you know, what the opportunity costs are. And so then you quickly get into a point where like, how many people did I meet in 2007 who are now investors or are at Facebook and Google or Uber, right? Like, I think that's the other thing is you get gun shy. You become gun shy over time because you realize how hard it really is. I really kind of like love, you know, and like, I do really think that it is amazing that these folks who are in their early to mid twenties and they're just getting started and they're experiencing everything for the first time. There is something really wonderful and special about that. So I don't, I don't want to take it away from them. Yeah. Let them go learn it themselves. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And then you become old and cynical like the rest of us. I don't think we're old and cynical completely. I think that's one of the things I've actually had to remind myself and I'll put it out there now is just being naive and humble because I think that's where like the next generation comes from. It's easy to be like, well, this app is stupid. Become Snapchat. I've actually had to remind myself, like you told me to check out whale right? Justin Kanzop. And it's like, whether it's super successful or not, I want to at least be aware of those things and not be too like 
horse and buggy is how I used to do things. So I'm not going to get a car. Well, one of the things I remember, one of the partners at More David Adventures, he had a really great kind of point of view on this, which he said, you know, the VC job, it's a hard job because you spend every single day saying no to people, you know, that things aren't good enough. It doesn't hit your bar. Like, and yet after saying no hundreds of times, you have to retain the ability to still fall in love with something someone's doing. You default to no. Like it's every single time the easiest thing is to say like to say no because it won't make it. And most of the time you'll be right, but you also miss the magical moments. So coming back to the beginning of the story, you know, you got to become a VC, you worked in technology, but that's also a function that you went to college early, right? Like you started college early at 15. And that was one of the reasons that we met. So I'm curious, what did your parents do to be able to raise a child prodigy? And then what's your wildest story that you recall from being in college starting at 14 or 15? Yeah, I took my first like college class and lived in the dorms and all that stuff when I was 14. I went to University of Washington, ended up studying applied math. Yeah, it was a really weird experience. I both felt like a child, but also felt like I was so excited and eager to be an adult as soon as possible. And so you're just kind of in this like awkward phase of your life. By junior year, senior year, when I was, you know, 17, 18, then everything became like normal. And I think I had the maturity actually of somebody who was like 20, 21, but just like in 17 year old form. <laughs> I mean, you still look uh, 17, you're Asian. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So if you just set a really high bar and you really have kids, compare themselves to not how other people are doing, but how they themselves, what they're able to accomplish. I think that's just really great because you're basically teaching and building intrinsic motivation. Instead of being like, oh, well, I got an A minus and all the other kids, most of them, you know, that was the highest score in the class, you know, or whatever. That's very like competitive comparison based, you know, thing versus, you know, just asking, you know, well, could you have done better? Right. I think that's always like really interesting and good to like think about intrinsic motivation. Yeah. At all, and did your all parents times. do that too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything was always like just comparison of like, you know, do you feel like you could have done better? I think that's helpful. I think the other thing is, having my curiosity like nurtured where I got into computers really early and like they definitely spared no expense like on getting me like all the equipment and like there's something about not treating school like it's the main thing but instead just being more about promoting like learning and like really challenging people for a bunch of kids who are 14 15 years old that they actually probably are ready to go to college if they were put into an environment where they actually just had to learn shit really fast, they would actually just do Be it. Be better for them? I don't know that actually overall it's like better for anyone's like development or anything. Like I do think it's also great to just like have time to be a kid. It's interesting to like think about how that all fits together. But I remember one of the first nights, I think literally might have been the first night in the dorms, a bunch of people on my floor all got really drunk. You know, we ended up going outside and like just like hanging out and being loud and drunk some campus police actually drove up and then carted all of us. And I was like waiting, terrified that my first day in the dorms, the cops would tell everyone else that I was actually 15 years old. And then it would just like blow my cover as a 15 year old. Of course, this is like the worst thing that could possibly happen, but they didn't mention anything actually, which is kind of funny. Do you remember the first time you, do you see like boobs super early or like have a beer super early? I think I had a beer that week, like my first week. Yeah. In the thing, it, it took a little while longer before I saw any boobs. <laughs> Did you hook up like any older women? I'm not going to talk about that. No comment? 
<laughs> I'm a professional persona to maintain. <laughs> All right. Do you feel like you were pushed too hard or enough as a kid? No. I think I had like a normal tiger parent experience. I don't think that they push me any harder than like other, like when I hear about other Asian kids, like I think they're, they're pushed the exact same amount. So I think it's fine. Do you think more parents should be tiger parents? Uh, and then for people I don't know, tiger parents is like someone who's just like very aggressive and they're pushing you to be like the number one in the class, the number one in the nation. I think the main thing about that that was great is having really high standards and pushing you to the point where they can believe in you that you can do better even when you don't know that you can do better. I think, I think that's great to have in any kind of parent or mentor, colleague. investor, colleague, yeah. anybody. I think that's a great, great feeling to, good you point. know, there are clearly good parts about it. Making school a focus, you know, I remember being told that like dad has his job and like mom has her job and your job is like school. Mm. And you have to do well at school the same way, you know, like dad can't get fired at his job, right? You don't want him to get fired, do you? Like you want him to do a good job, right? It's like, yeah, of course. And it's like, okay, well, your job is like you're to do school, right? So I think there's some like interesting ideas in there. I think you just have to kind of like separate it out from some of the like more toxic elements as well. You started as a child prodigy. You've worked in tech in all these cool places. You started your own company, raised money from the best of the best. You have a pretty high position at Uber, which has done well. You've also worked with me. So you ended up being an advisor and the only kind of person who's given us any money at Sumo Group. What is your favorite memory of working with me? Favorite memory of working with me? We worked together. I mean, we actually started a company. I've written, I actually found an old blog post about Fatcast. So Andrew and I started a YouTube competitor before YouTube existed that was yeah. based on BitTorrent. This is when we really, really didn't know what we were doing. Oh, we had no clue. Okay. I think my favorite all-time memory, maybe not of working with you, but just like, let's just say work-related with you. Was I remember you're like, I joined Facebook like nine months in. I think you were the first product manager working on mobile. You were working on like yeah, the only kind of WAP kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like old school, like text kind of stuff. I remember having a conversation with you where you're like, Andrew, I'm bored at Facebook. <laughs> and I remember just being like, what are you talking about? But I do think that like, that's just such a great natural part of your personality that you're so novelty seeking that even when you're at one of the most exciting, fastest growing, best companies ever, you're getting bored nine months in. <laughs> so, so then the rest of your career is basically trying to like not get bored so that you can stick around and build something for real. Well, how have you observed me change over the years? you've really had to push yourself over time to be patient and to learn to actually operate and grow companies. I think your like combined opportunity cost of like not finishing out your time at Facebook and Mint and so on, maybe the price tag on that lesson is so high <laughs> that then it's sort of like, okay, great. Like, yeah, you got to invest in like sticking around and building something for real. You know, I think in the early days, it was much more about just like activity and pure energy just for the sake of it. Just like do stuff, just like ship stuff, like activity, energy, but potentially without like an organizing principle or like strategic direction. And I think it's interesting now where it's like, you know, at our board meetings where you'll like pull out a spreadsheet and you're like, Hey, I've modeled three different scenarios for like price increases and like how it affects conversion rates. And like, here's the thing. And because of that, I think we should pick option B. I mean, that's very different than where you were where you would have just been like, fuck it, let's just do it and just ship something and then just see what happens. If you could give people one challenge to take today, what would be a challenge, the Andrew Chen challenge? Move to the Bay Area for six months and meet five people per day. 
you talked about coaches. Yeah. Right. I think you have a lot of great points about that. Um, knowing when you should quit, like look externally and then look internally. I think your thing about if you really want to grow your network and build your business, as we talked about yesterday, your network is your net worth. It's mostly true. Go and spend five days meeting five people every day. That's a little easier than flying. So that is the Andrew Chen challenge. Five people a day, five days straight. Yeah. But okay. But we can do that virtually now. Yeah. No, that's my point. Where I would say, fine. Then if you're not in the Bay Area, email people in the Bay Area and do like a hangouts call or whatever and do it with five Bay Area people per day. So five people, five days. That's right. So 25 people total in a week. Yes. You said it about Seattle. Now Seattle's obviously matured a lot since you've left, but it's like, go be around the best people. And that's how you're going to elevate yourself. Like most of my professional growth came when I was at Facebook, but like I was around the best, of the best. I thought I was already good. That made me become a lot better. Uh, and yeah. so surrounding yourself, like, you know, networking with those people. And it's funny. I was even thinking about, you know, Leo from Buffer mm-hmm. in 2011, I was looking through my blog. He was commenting on my stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to be like, how can I connect with people? Like go tweet them back, go leave comments, go like try to interact and engage with them. And eventually, like when he came on Buffer, like he was like, hey, can you help like mention or something? And I think I did. Yeah. Anyways, point being, Andrew Chen Challenge, five people, five days, ideally in the Bay Area. If not, find them wherever they are uh, that are better than you in the industries or sections you want to get interested in. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Go give Andrew some love. It's andrewchen.co is his website. He couldn't afford the .com. Uh, I'm recording this from France today, and I want to know where you are in the world. So send me a tweet at Noah Kagan or email me noah at sumo.com. Have a great fucking day. Are you a red or white wine kind of person? <laughs>